22. In just a few minutes here, uh, I'll be reading verses 1 through 16. Acts chapter 22. We'll be starting in verse 1 this morning. Let's pray as we get going here. Well, Father, we just pause and we thank you for the freedom we have in Christ. The book of Galatians says that it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Do not be entangled, therefore, once again in the yoke of bondage. Father, we thank you for freedom. And as your people, I think we are many times afraid of freedom. But you've given us such freedom. We are no longer under the yoke of your law, the bondage of your law. We are still under the law of Christ, yes, the law of love, to love you, to love others. But we are no longer under the, the old covenant guardian of the law. And we've been set free. We've been set free to love you. We've been set free to other people. We've been set free to do the very thing you created us to do, which is to multiply. To multiply your image around the earth. Lord God, to, to, to spread your glory around the globe. We've been set free to go now and make disciples of all nations. Father, we know all through the Bible we see that, that you have promised to bless your people in order that they might then go and bless all nations. So Father, we thank you. The blessing doesn't stop with us. You didn't create us to be a lake that would just pool your blessings. But you created us to be a river that you would bless us and those blessings then would go out to the world. So Father, we thank you for the freedom to get up and run. To get up and serve you, Father, joyfully to make disciples of all nations. And I just ask, Lord, now as we turn to your word, you'd use this time, Father, you'd stir our hearts, Lord, to do those very things. You'd stir our hearts to find our freedom in Christ. To come to Christ and trust in Christ and be set free from the bondage of sin and death. We'd find freedom in Christ today. And Lord, you'd also today give us the power then to get up and run in the name of Christ to make disciples of all nations. So Father, just use this time in your word, we pray. We thank you for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. I wonder if you've ever heard before the phrase, flip the script. Uh, Someone just sort of flips the script on you uh, all of a sudden. Uh, The phrase basically just means that someone goes against or somehow alters your plans. Uh, You have every detail for some future event planned in your mind. You've planned it to a T. You've mapped it out perfectly. You've, you've planned every detail for this future event, whatever it might be. You, you've planned the order of every detail for that event. You plan to do this first, and then you'll do that, and, and on and on and on. And you then begin to work to fulfill that script, just taking care of all the details along the way. Uh, but then someone comes along and flips the script. Uh, does something you did not expect and, and changes your plans and everything now works out very different than you originally scripted. Maybe you've scripted this uh, romantic stay-at-home date night with your spouse. Uh, uh, you've made all the plans for this thing. You plan to put the kids down at eight, uh, dim the lights, a little quiet music, uh, flower petals on the couch, maybe uh, a little fake fire on the TV, maybe, you know, this romantic date night, and uh, your kids then flip the script. Uh, and no matter what you do, your kids will just not stay in bed. They begin to act, as Jim Gaffigan says, like they've never been to sleep before. <laughs> bed, what's that? I don't want to do that. And all of a sudden, as Gaffigan says, it's this sort of reverse hostage negotiation. You're not paying to deliver them from captivity. You're ready to pay to keep them in captivity. Look, if you just stay in there, I'll give you whatever you want. I'll meet you your demands what you want a helicopter to Cuba or something I will do it please just stay in your room and your romantic date night at home now turns out to be very different than you originally scripted and and here's the thing in in our lives 
God will often flip the script. You have the details of your life all mapped out to a T. You know what's going to happen. You've got it all mapped out. You go to this college, you'll get this degree, you'll get this job, you'll, you'll get married maybe, you'll have two kids, you'll, you'll have your dog, you'll have a minivan in the suburbs, you'll retire at age 65, you'll have an RV, you'll travel the country, you'll travel to see your kids, and you're working hard to fulfill that script that you've laid out for your life. You're almost done maybe, now, maybe now, maybe right now, you are already enjoying your retirement. And God then flips your script. And He does something you did not expect. Did not plan for. He does something that goes against or somehow alters your, your plans. And the rest of your life now works out very different than you had originally planned. And here's the thing about God. Man, when, when, when God comes along and, and He flips the script in, in a person's life, well, God will often flip the script for mission. Because here's the thing. Our God is on a global mission. God promised in the Bible that He would ultimately raise up worshipers for Himself. He would raise up Christians who would raise up Christ followers from every single people group on this planet. Our God is on a global mission, and because God is very passionate about His global mission, well, God will often flip the script in a person's life for mission. Very unexpectedly, at times, call people into global missions. You're, you're living your life. You're following your script. You're working your plan, man, following every detail you've laid out for your life. College, job, marriage, retirement, never really a thought that you might be involved in any significant way in global missions. And God then flips your script for mission. He just comes into your life and He begins to do some things. He begins to stir in ways you, you didn't imagine. He stirs your heart in, in ways you didn't foresee. He puts a certain call on your life you did not expect. And all of a sudden your heart is now burning for a certain nation, for a certain people group. And, and all of a sudden, you in your life, you're now doing something that you never expected you would do. You're serving now in some new way in God's global mission. Throughout the history of this world, God has flipped the script for mission in thousands of lives. People who did not expect to to be in global missions ended their lives in global missions. And what I'd like to do for just a few minutes this morning is, is quickly look at one biblical example. Just look today at the way God flipped the script for mission in the life of the Apostle Paul. Acts 22 is Paul's own personal testimony. You can find his personal testimony several places in the book of Acts. We'll look at Acts 22 here. Paul is telling us here about his own life. At this time in the book of Acts, he was in Jerusalem. He had just been attacked by a Jewish mob that thought he was violating Jewish law. But, but, but right after Paul was attacked, he was rescued by Roman soldiers. And before they took Paul away, well, they let Paul address this hostile crowd. So let's go ahead and read it now. Verse 1, Paul is addressing this crowd. He says, brothers and fathers... Hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one. And to hear a voice from his mouth, for you shall be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. Amen. Just two things I'd like to cover this morning. The first is this, number one, your script for your life. Your script for your life. You know, Paul, like you and me, Paul had a script for his life. He, he had planned his life to some degree, certain things that he would do, certain things he would accomplish. His parents had certain things they wanted Paul to do and to accomplish. What was Paul's script for his own life? Well, he wanted to become the premier Jewish religious leader of his day, the top Pharisee of all Pharisees, Paul from birth. Man, this guy, he was on this fast track to Jewish religious stardom. Paul says there in verse 3 that he was born as a Jew in Tarsus. Tarsus was north of Jerusalem, but he was then raised in Jerusalem, educated, Paul says, at the feet of Gamaliel, the most prominent Jewish rabbi at this time. And Gamaliel trained Paul, verse 3 says, from childhood according to the strictest manner of the Jewish law. It was very likely that Paul's parents took him from Tarsus to Jerusalem in order that he might be trained by Gamaliel. Paul, from, from, from a very young, young age, he was being groomed for Jewish religious greatness. He, he had this Jewish pedigree that, that would help him rise above other Jewish religious leaders. He was, he was being groomed to be a highly revered Pharisee. And as Paul grew, well listen, this man Paul, he strived to be the best of all Pharisees. It wasn't enough for Paul just to pass the class of Pharisee. No, Paul wanted to be the best of all Pharisees. Paul, unlike other Pharisees, he was not content just to speak against Christianity, which all the other Pharisees did. They would speak against Christianity because they considered Christianity to be a false religion. But Paul would not just speak against Christianity. No, Paul went above and beyond the call of duty and actually persecuted Christianity personally. He says in verse 4 that he had persecuted this way. He had persecuted Christianity to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women. When Stephen was stoned back in Acts chapter 7, Paul was there holding the garments of those who threw the rocks. Acts chapter 9 says that Paul was breathing out threats and murder against the disciples. In Acts 26, Paul says about himself that he persecuted Christians in raging fury, trying to make them blaspheme. And when they were ultimately put to death, he says he cast his vote against them. Paul, you just picture him, this guy, he was a perfectionist, I think, at heart, and he was just striving hard to be the best of the best, to be the best of all Pharisees. Paul was what people in med school today might call a gunner. He was gunning to be the top of the class. He didn't care just to graduate. No, he wanted to be the top of the class. A a very well-known and trusted resource, the Urban Dictionary, uh, says that a gunner is the med student 
who uses three different colored highlighters, tabs every page in his notebook, and when a 10-page answer is required on the final, well, he writes 25 pages. That's a gunner in med school, and Paul was a gunner in Pharisee school. Just picture all the Pharisees at times just stepping back, looking at Paul and saying, pipe down, dude, are you serious? You know, C is, is, it will get you the grade, and Paul's like, who wants a C? I'm going to get an A minus. I'm going to crush you in school. That was Paul's life script. His plan was to be cream of the crop. Fame, reputation as a religious leader. He was going to retire in peace. That was Paul's life script. And that begs the question, what is your life script? Because you have one. You have in your mind the things that you've planned out, the things that you think will happen in your life. What, what is your life script? What have you planned for your life? A certain college? Maybe married? Live in a certain part of the country? Kids? Retire in the suburbs? Travel? Travel around the world maybe? Listen, it's not wrong to have a life script, to make some plans. God tells us uh, in the book of Proverbs, it's good to make plans. But here's the thing. The script that you have written for your life, it might be drastically different than the script that God has written for your life. And that was the case with the Apostle Paul. That's the first thing this morning. Your script for your life. And number two, God's script for your life. Paul, he had the script, man. Oh, you know, he had it in his head. He knew where he was going. And this and this guy was well on his way to fulfilling this life script that he had. But God had a very different script for Paul's life. And listen, when the time was just right, well, God flipped the script for the Apostle Paul. Paul says in verse 6 that as he was heading to Damascus to persecute Christians, God dropped him to his knees. A bright light from heaven. A loud voice from heaven. Jesus himself saying, Paul, Paul, it is me whom you are now persecuting. Because when you persecute my body, you persecute me. You persecute believers, you persecute me. It is me whom you are now persecuting. Can you imagine what that would have been like for the Apostle Paul? (laughs) Can you imagine to be dropped to your knees like that? And Jesus, it is Jesus of Nazareth whom you are persecuting, Paul. And he's now temporarily blinded by this light. He was then led to Damascus and a believer named Ananias. God told Ananias to go and pray for Paul, the persecutor. Can you imagine Ananias thinking, you've got to be crazy, Lord. (laughs) This guy's been killing Christians. And I'm going to go lay my hands on him and pray for him. Yes, you are. (laughs) And Ananias goes in faith, lays his hands on Paul, prays for Paul. He receives his sight again. And look again, if you will, at what Ananias says to Paul. Verse 14, Ananias said, The God of our fathers appointed you, Paul, to know His will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from His mouth. For you, Paul, will be a witness for Him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait, Paul? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on His name. You look closely there at what Ananias said to Paul. Ananias says there that that Paul had been appointed by God for two things. One, Paul had been appointed for salvation. Ananias said that Paul had been appointed by God to see and to hear Jesus. In order that 
Paul, in verse 16, might then rise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of Jesus. Paul's salvation here was an act of God's sovereign grace. Please, please listen to me. Paul was not looking for Jesus here. He was not looking to be saved by Jesus here. Paul was looking to persecute Jesus. He was looking to obliterate the name of Jesus. He was looking to kill followers of Jesus. And God sovereignly and very, very suddenly dropped him to his knees. And he then saw Jesus and he heard Jesus from heaven. Paul's salvation was an act of sovereign grace. God just opening his eyes and allowing him to see and to hear the truth. God had appointed Paul for salvation. And listen, that, that's how salvation works. I know it's difficult for us as finite human beings to understand that, but that's how it works. You don't ultimately find Jesus. No, Jesus finds you. You don't somehow seek and save yourself. No, Jesus, the good shepherd, he seeks and saves a lost sheep. And he puts you on his shoulders and he carries you into the kingdom of God. God, you're lost in your sin and God comes to you in your sin. You may have heard the gospel a million times before, but it made no sense to you. You didn't care about it. And all of a sudden God comes to you and he opens your eyes. And he shows you that you're living in sin. He shows you that you've rebelled against him. God opens your eyes so that you can see Jesus in your sin. God, 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 God sovereignly chooses to reveal Jesus to you. He reveals that Jesus died for you. God sovereignly draws you, the Bible says, causes you to believe in Jesus and to cling to Jesus and to follow Jesus. Salvation is an act of God's sovereign grace and God gets every last bit of the glory for every single salvation. Paul had been appointed by God for salvation. That's one thing. But another thing that God had appointed Paul for, global missions. And God had sovereignly appointed Paul to take the name of Jesus to the nation. Ananias says there in verse 15 that God had appointed Paul to be a witness for him to everyone of what Paul had now seen and heard. And man, Paul will now travel all over the place preaching the name of Jesus. Paul says now in Romans 15 that his one ambition in life now is to preach Christ where Christ has not yet been named. He just wants to go where people have not heard about Jesus. He is a pioneer missionary. A frontier missionary. God had now uh, dramatically flipped the script in Paul's life for mission. God calling Paul now into global missions. And man, here's the beauty of God's ways. Every last thing that Paul learned in his previous life, all of it, all the time sitting at the feet of Gamaliel, this Jewish professor. All of his time, Paul striving to be the Pharisee of Pharisees. All of that stuff, God wasted none of it. Now you see, Paul had done it for one reason, to be the best Jew ever. But from the day Paul was born, God had been doing something that Paul did not know. God had been using every single thing in Paul's life to prepare him to preach Jesus as the Messiah to both Jews and Gentiles all over the world. And when the time was right, God flipped the script for mission and sent him around the world. And listen, Man, this flipping the script for mission thing that God did in Paul's life, well, God throughout history has done that same type of thing in countless other lives. People all through history living out the plans that they had scripted for their own lives. A certain education, a job, a retirement. All these people never really thought at all that they might one day be involved in any significant way in God's global mission, and God then flipped the script. 
He began to do things in their lives. He began to stir their hearts in ways they didn't foresee. He began to put a call on them that they didn't expect. Their hearts now began to burn for certain nations, for certain people groups around the world. And all of a sudden, they were now serving as global missionaries. Never saw it coming. And there it was. The examples are endless. William Carey, working as a simple shoemaker in England. A cobbler, married with kids. That was his life script. And God then flipped the script. And William Carey then spent 42 years as a missionary in India. C.T. Studd, a famous cricket player in England. His life script was to play cricket, be wealthy and famous, and God flipped the script. And he spent the rest of his life as a missionary in China and India and the Belgian Congo. Amy Carmichael suffered from neuralgia. She was confined to her bed for weeks on end. No one thought she would do anything. That was the script for her life. But God flipped the script. And Amy Carmichael spent 55 years as a missionary in India, caring for prostitutes and orphans, ministering many times, writing many times from her bed. Adoniram Judson, a self-proclaimed deist, he rebelled against his parents' Christianity, but he then spent a night alone listening all night long as his best friend in the next room died an agonizing death. And God flipped the script and he spent 40 years as a missionary in Burma or Elka of the YY tribe in Brazil. He was a witch doctor in Brazil. That was his life script. But two missionaries then told him about Christ and God flipped the script. And Elka spent the rest of his life as a missionary to other tribes in Brazil. Elka said this. If you put that on the screen, Jesus came far, so let us go far. Jesus died for us. Let us die for Jesus. And listen, this flipping of the script for mission that God does in people's lives, he doesn't just do it for people out there somewhere that we don't know. No, he does it for people who live very, very close to home. He does it for people we do know. Blake and Melody Wahlberg, you saw their picture. Blake was working as a maintenance man at Teen Challenge. And then later he was working at 3M in research and development. Melody was a stay-at-home mom. And God flipped the script. And they're now missionaries in Indonesia. Dan and Amy Morse, you saw their picture. They were working in the Twin Cities as sign language interpreters and God flipped the script. And they're now missionaries to the deaf in China. Tim and Maria Stadahar were unmarried sitting in this very gym here and God flipped the script and they're now married. Missionaries to an unreached people group in China. Gary and Ellie Sikma sitting right in front of me right here. You'll hear from them soon. They spent many years living and working here in the States, raising a family. And God has now flipped the script and they're preparing for missions work overseas. And it appears that God has also flipped the script in the lives of a couple CRC members, Will and Sarah Myron. And I'd like to invite Will up at this time to share a little of their story with you. Good morning, team. <clears throat> I'm Will Myron. Uh, for those who don't know me, my beautiful wife, Sarah, is right over there with our freshly minted week-year-old baby, Lucy. And then we also have our son, Aiden, and our daughter, Nora, that run around these parts as well. Um, we've been a part of CRC for about five years now. And uh, this is so much more than a place of worship for us. This really is <clears throat> our family. Thank you so much for this opportunity. And uh, yeah, like Pastor Brett said, um, we are in the process of the Lord flipping the script on us. Um, to give you the full picture, I should do a brief overview of our past, and uh, we'll do it quickly. So here we go. My story starts in Wisconsin. Um, I'm the youngest of six kids, born and raised Catholic, and uh, loving home. Um, the thing that shaped my childhood the most was when my father passed away when I was two. Um, <clears throat> drowning accident in the St. Croix River. My two oldest brothers were with him when it happened. And um, for most of my childhood, my family was grieving in different ways. Um, my answer to grief was to escape from family and the world to myself. So a lot of Ninja Turtles in the corner of the house, 
alone. That was my happy place. Um, and really, I just I carried that into adulthood, too. Um, I didn't think I needed anyone, and I hated people. Um, and I just said that straight out. Of course, that's not how God created us to live. And in high school, I found myself severely depressed. Um, instead of suicide, my plan was to run away to Canada. Um, <laughs> and like super legitimately serious about it, to me, avoiding relationships and responsibility, that was the answer. And so let's just run away to a different country. And uh, thankfully, God had other plans. Um, I was online one day, and in the comments section of someone's blog, I read James 2.19. You believe in one God, good. Even demons believe that, and shudder. Um, And man, I... (laughs) God spoke to me instantly in that moment, and I knew that I, I knew about God um, as a Catholic, but I didn't know God, and I didn't love God, and my life did not look like I did. And uh, the Lord started to work in my heart. Um, and then finally, my senior year, I surrendered my life to, to Jesus, and uh, shortly after that, started dating Sarah. Shortly after that, um, attended the University of Northwestern St. Paul, where I got my Uh, biblical and theological studies degree. Um, Huge time of growth for both Sarah and I. And and as I graduated and all my peers were graduating and going off to seminary to become pastors, um, I don't know, I kind of looked at at the mold of what I thought the American pastor looked like. And it was all very type A, organized, um, got their stuff together. And that's not me at all. And um, I don't know, I just, I stopped pursuing it. And... um, Sarah and I got married, and we just started to do normal life, um, uh, working odds and ends jobs, getting ready to start our family, and that is absolutely fine, because it doesn't matter if you're a pastor or a mailman, which I am now, um, the Lord loves me, but we just kind of started to fall asleep as Christians, Um, and about five years ago, we started coming to CRC. And almost immediately got put into the Lewis's small group and eventual life group. And almost immediately, the head pastor and his wife started confessing their sins and their weaknesses to us, as they faithfully do. Um, And man, it was just such an incredible time of healing, um, especially for Sarah. Sarah grew up in a Christian home and uh, found Jesus at an an early age. But while she knew herself as a sinner, they never really practiced confessing sin um, or talking about their weaknesses. And Sarah kind of grew up underneath a lot of shame. Um, Always kind of felt like she had to uh, keep it together and show um, good Christian face. Um, And through confession of sin and the gospel and love and community, God started to heal all this stuff. And Sarah started to experience God's love for her, not just... <clears throat> as um, all the good stuff, but the ugliest stuff too. And through living life in gospel-filled community on mission for the lost in our everyday lives, God's Spirit was just doing all this stuff in us, growing an incredibly strong love for <clears throat> the families in our life group. I'm going to just, well, we're going to fight through this, because I'll... <clears throat> um, yeah, just giving us an incredibly strong love for our life group, but also the families in this church. Um, drawing us deeper and deeper into kingdom reality as we invested more into his kingdom and less into into our kingdom. And, um, yeah, as we as we started to go, Sarah and I just kind of came to a point where we started to pray, Lord, if there's anything else you, you want from us, um, <clears throat> I just ask that you would, you would direct our steps because uh, we're terrified and we don't know what that means, but we just kind of feel, feel you tugging. And then, um, a little over a year ago, something happened that directed our steps. So on July 31st, 2016, Jameson and Catherine Powell's and their three kids were traveling to their final training session in Colorado um, before their departure to Japan. The Powell's were headed to Japan to be uh, full-time missionaries there, and they, um, they had just sold off all their possessions, said all their last goodbyes to their family, and then they were driving on their way to, to Colorado before flying out. And on their way there, um, their car was rear-ended by a semi. And <clears throat> father and mother and three kids all went to be with, with uh, Jesus. 
And we were fortunate enough to know the pals um, in college. We were friends with them and went to the same small church plant with them before coming here. Um, and so it, it hit us really hard. And uh, God's spirit was, was, man, he was really moving in Sarah and I through this, especially at their funeral service and especially during John Piper's prayer there. And at one point, um, Piper prayed, Lord, in the name of Jesus and by the blood of these five, I ask, raise up, raise up a legion of replacements for the global glory of his imperial majesty, Jesus Christ. Forbid that any of your children would hear of this news and waste their lives on trifles. And Sarah and I left that service and we both had the same thing in our mind. We can run our race better. We've been, we've been investing more in the kingdom, but we can go all in. And uh, the other thing that we left with was <clears throat> we, should at least, we should at least pray about international missions again. And so uh, shortly after that, I was <clears throat> sorry, rummaging on World Ventures' website and um, the agency that the pals went through. And I saw an opportunity to serve in the least reached con- country in the English-speaking world, uh, a country that has only 1% evangelical Christians. And that country was Ireland. Um, Ireland first jumped out at me because Sarah and I spent a month there before coming to CRC and just fell in love with the people and the culture, um, something that really clicked in our souls. Um, But behind all that natural and cultural beauty is a people who have been deeply hurt by religious institutions, are fleeing from cathedrals and droves, and are swearing off the idea of God altogether. 78% of Irish say that they're uh, Roman Catholic, but that number doesn't paint the full picture. Um, Catholicism is very entrenched in the very identity of, of Irish people. Um, when they won their independence, it was as Catholic Ireland opposed to Protestant England. Um, so while the majority still check that box as Catholic, it's increasingly in name only or nominal. In 1973, 91 of the population attended Catholic Mass on a weekly basis, 91%. Uh, Just last year, that was down to 22%. So this huge swing outside of the church. Um, And the fastest growing religion by far um, in Ireland is no religion. Currently at 10%, was at 2%, I think, 15 years ago. Um, And so we look at those numbers and we just ask why. Why is there such a huge swing? Um, A couple things that just pop out at us. One's been the sexual abuse scandals that have devastated the country. Uh, thousands of allegations brought against Irish priests and nuns, and um, only 6% of those have had any kind of prosecution done. So the very place where people were going to find hope and sending their kids to find life were the very places that caused their deepest hurts um, and shame, and all done in the name of Jesus. Um, another thing is, is, is just this, the shame that the institution has put on um, the people uh, one story that blew us away came out of a town that we might actually church plant in, Tomb, Ireland. And in the mid-1900s, there were these nunneries that took in kids that were born outside of wedlock. And there was just this incredible shame put on these women. Um, to keep standing in the church, they uh, really forced them to either send their kids to be adopted to the states, or they would make them um, send their kids to these institutions, these nunneries, and just cut ties with them. Um, well, in 2014, they found underneath that nunnery and tomb 20 different mass burial chambers and uh, with up to or around 800 bodies of zero to three-year-olds. Um, so just incredible wickedness done in darkness and, again, done in the name of Jesus. Um, And I think as the country starts to wake up from the hypocrisy and the dead religiosity of it all, um, they're just, they're swearing off religion altogether. In the States, we've got plenty of problems of our own. I don't need to to get into all that. Um, But one thing that we do have is is we have healthy gospel-preaching churches that people can go to and hear the good news of Jesus. That he came and he did everything the law required. And he took our place and he was abused and neglected for us. And that through him we have, um, we have the full righteousness of God. We have complete sonship um, with him. That's apart from any works. Um, and uh, just through faith alone. 
Ireland does not have that. I believe somewhere around 80% of the towns in Ireland have no gospel presence at all, which isn't surprising since only 1% are evangelical Christians. Um, And so that's actually what we're going to be going to do. We're going to be going as church planners, and we'll actually be supporting the main church planner by doing what God, through CRC, has been training us to do the last five years. Um, So again, just like our life groups, we're going to be living life and life on mission, uh, cultivating relationships with people outside of church doors, and eventually um, growing gospel-centered community together, i.e. a church. And uh, we'll hopefully be doing that outside of Galway, which is in the west of Ireland, in a new town that doesn't have any kind of church at all. Um, Man, and here's why I love Brett's word today, and why I gave you all that backstory stuff. Um, that this isn't about us, that it's about God flipping the script despite of us, uh, mailman to missionary. And, um, man, it's about God taking sinners and uniquely redeeming their unique brokenness for his glory. Here's a boy born in a Catholic home and without hope, now being called to witness to religiously Catholic country without hope. A man who dreamed of escaping to a different country to avoid relationships at all costs. (laughs) Now being called to go to a foreign country in order to build relationships at a great cost to himself. Uh, A man who ran away from seminary because he feared failure. Now being called to plant churches despite being terrified of it. Um, A woman held captive by the shame of keeping religious face now being called to love a people controlled by religious shame. And this is a big one for me, so I'll just... Man, a man that hated people, now being called to to really painfully leave the people that he loves. And this is by far the hardest part for us, is just the separation um, from this church body. And uh, knowing that we're ultimately not separated from you, but that's that's a real ocean in between. And man, it hurts, and... And praise God that that's true, because <laughs> that's, that's not me. Um, that's, that's the Holy Spirit doing a new work in me, and just the unity of spirit that we've had with this place, um, that is to his glory. <clears throat> and in, in January, I'm trying to think back, I think it was January we started those uh, Kingdom Prayer Nights. I don't even know if we're still doing those or what, what the deal is there, but we were just praying as a church, uh, Lord, let your kingdom come. It doesn't look like heaven here yet, so, so God, send your kingdom. Um, let the rule and reign of Christ change us. And I think a part of that, that is global missions. Um, our God is a God who sends, who goes, and who empowers. Think of how the Godhead has done missions. Jesus left perfect community, the community that he loved, to go to a foreign country who didn't have him. But he didn't do it alone. The Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing, as he said. It was the Father that had to give of himself, to send him, to will his ministry. And when when his ministry began, the Spirit descended on him and empowered um, his ministry. And in the same way, I think that God is saying um, to us that kingdom reality for CRC is to go and make disciples of all nations, right? And just like the Father, we need people to send. And just like Jesus, we need people to go. And just like the Spirit, we need people to pray and empower those ministries. Um, and I just wanted uh, to encourage um, you in, those, in the value of those Father and Spirit roles, um, which is where most of us probably land. Um, we're made in the image of the Godhead. So, And I, I really think that we kind of, if that's how he does mission, then that's probably how we are to do mission. And a verse that's been preaching to me a lot lately is Matthew 19.30. Uh, so Peter um, is doing what he does, and he's asking Jesus what rewards he's going to get for leaving the, the world and following him. And Jesus replies, Everyone who has left houses or brothers or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. And I've always read that as like, a, like you know, go missions or go missionaries. You're going you're gonna to get a great reward. But then he follows that with, but, but Peter, many who are first will be last and the last first. 
missionaries or goers get a certain kind of attention or praise of man, um, and just necessarily so, we need to need to talk and get support, and um, there's a certain kind of praise of man there. And senders and empowerers don't. Um, that's just between us, them, and the Lord. And some of the gifts, like, we've already received, I want to shout out their names here, um, because, man, like, we see it, and we're so loved by it. Um, and the world gives them no attention, no credit, no praise. They just do it. And uh, nobody sees it except for us and the Lord. But the Lord sees it. <clears throat> and that's why their reward's going to be sweeter than mine, because um, the first shall be last. And the Lord rewards what's done in secret. Um, Bill Gates is not coming to fund our ministry. Um, yeah, and that's, and that's for our good. It really is. It's for our good. It's for the church's good. Um, because the, the sender-goer-empower relationship, whether that's, that's for us in Ireland or China or anywhere in the world, um, that transforms us as a church as we um, unitedly become different than the world, as we all invest in the same crazy, absurd thing together. Because uh, the world does not understand this. My natural family does not understand what in the world we're doing. Um, but people filled with his spirit understand. And so as we all unite and do global missions together, it, it just it transforms all of us. Um, and man, and for us, we want on our furloughs, on our, on our times back here, to spend our time with you people. <laughs> and when uh, we come back, we, we spend time with the people that support us. So it's like, we want the majority of our support to come from here because we love you and we want to spend time with you. And I just think it fits uh, God's vision um, and something I want to speak against um, as I start to close here, um, the number one reason missionaries leave the field is disunity with other Christians, which is super sad, but not really a surprise. Um, disunity is always the enemy's game. Um, but here's the thing. I, I don't think he waits until Ireland to do that or the mission field. He starts that now. Um, and so he starts that with disunity in his church, um, in the sending church, and I just, like, I've personally felt jealousy and bitterness towards missionaries, and maybe that's just because I'm a, a wicked person, but there's something with, like, I think missionaries having a very clear calling in something, a lot of attention being on them, and I just, like, uh, I don't know, something's rubbed me wrong, and I don't really enter into them with, with ministry. And I just think that's the enemy. Um, and you wind up with these missionaries that have, like, 45 churches supporting them, and um, I, I don't think ultimately that's super healthy. And so I, I really don't want to sound manipulative when I say that, but I just, um, this is our call together. Whether that's with us or um, Tim and Maria or anyone, um, I just want to encourage you that whether you're called to be a sender or a goer or an empower, you image God when you do that. Um, and the Father and Son and Spirit all had equally needed and valued roles in mission. Um, so let's be united and do that together. And uh, finally, um, just where we're at in the process and um, what we need. So we're appointed and commissioned to go. We're hoping to get there in a year. Um, and currently we're finding partners to get us there and keep us there with monthly contributions. Um, so we gave you, I gave you kind of the brief overview. There's more to the story and what we'll be doing. Um, but if the Spirit is stirring in you at all um, to partner with us, you can do so right on our World Venture page, which should be on our prayer cards that we handed out, or else they'll be in the back. Um, and honestly, whether that's that's 200 a month or, or 20 bucks a month, that loves us so much. Um, and uh, Or if you want to connect deeper, uh, chat, hear more, ask questions, we'd love to get together with you, have a conversation, get to know some of you better. Because some of you I don't know super well, and so when I like cry, and I'm like, I love you. You're like, what, are you, what is he talking about? Um, there is like a, there's a, a general unity of spirit here, so I can just say, like, I love this family. Um, but I, we would love to connect with, with more of you. Um, and, uh, yeah, we can't do this without you, and we don't want to. We love this family more than you can understand. <clears throat> and um, just thank you for, for letting us share. Um, and I just want to pray for us quick before Brett takes over. So. Heavenly Father, um, God, I thank you so much. I thank you for this church body. This is your people. Um, this is your body. This is your flock. I thank you so much. I give you glory for what it has done in our lives, um, what your spirit has been doing here. And um, 
And now as we stay united with them, with what we're being called to, I just we give you praise for it. Um, and just like Paul said, um, when he said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each of you will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And so, God, as we, as we pray and think about global missions, I, God, I just ask that you would, you would make us one. <laughs> that we would be one as we pursue that in Cottage Grove, in Woodbury, in China, in Ireland, in India, to the ends of the world. We would be one as we do that. Um, and we just thank you that you've already done that. <laughs> that we are one by your spirit. And we praise you for it, God. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Will. Um, we love to send our own uh, to the mission field. That's a tough send right there. And I know many of you feel that. Um, that's a good friend of mine. Uh, both Will and Sarah are good friends with many of you here, I know. And uh, so, man, we praise God, but there's not, uh, it's not without a little, bit of, um, a little bit of sorrow in our hearts that we prepare to see Will and Sarah uh, sent to the mission field. But, man, we were created to be a river, to receive and to send, not to be a lake, to pool our resources. So we thank God that you're being sent out. The God we love and worship in the CRC family, He is a God on a mission to raise up worshipers for Himself from every tribe and language and people and nation on this earth. And because God is passionate about His global mission, well, God will often flip the script for mission. He will come into your life and do something you never ever expected for the sake of His glory in this world and for the sake of your eternal joy. And just as we close this morning, I'd like to ask one question. What about you? What about you? What about you? You know, it's easy to kind of sit here and listen and think, well, that's not me. You know, I know the script that I've written for my life, that's, that's also God's script for my life. And no, I'm a, I'm a sender, I'm not a goer into the global mission field. Well, the Myrans said that. Many others have said that. Why not you? Why not you? Why not you? I'd encourage you to think about it, and I'd like to close this way this morning. If you're sitting here today and you have any sort of sense whatsoever that God just might, God just might at some point in the future want to flip your script for mission. If you're sitting here this morning, you've got a little bit, even the the tiniest tug on your heart that could maybe be me in the future. I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't know exactly. That's how the Holy Spirit works. And if that's you today, just wondering if God might be calling you to global missions work, I would like to pray for you. And in just a second here, I'll ask you to stand. You don't have to know for sure about anything today. Please hear me. We're not committing you to anything. We will not send you to Somalia tomorrow uh, if if you stand here this morning. We do want to pray for you that God will help you to discern His call on your life. The Global Missions team will be looking around at those who do stand and will try to follow up with you just personally. Uh, We will not hold you to anything today. We want to pray for you. So please, at this time, if there's anybody here, and I know there are people here that you don't know for sure, and if that's your and you, you and you have even the slightest tug, maybe God might do this in my life, I'm going to ask you to stand now. And I will give you a couple minutes. I know there are people here. It can be adults. It can be children. It can be anybody. Please stand.
It can be children too. If you have just a, you just wonder, um, young children, if the Lord might call you to the mission field, then go ahead and stand. That's fantastic. Amen. I know there's probably a couple more of you still sitting, and that's okay. I'm just going to pray that God will confirm. Let's pray together. God, you're so good. Our glorious, majestic God, all-powerful, sovereign Lord. You're so, so good. You're so good. Father, we thank you, Father, for the way you've sent Jesus, just lavishly sending your Son for us. And Father, we thank You that You don't just call us then to sit and wait till the end. But You give us things to do. You bless us in order that we might then bless others. Whether we're going to bless others here in the States or bless others around the world. We just thank You. You're good. Your ways are right. They're good. We thank You for it. And Father, I do just want to pray now for those who are standing. I pray, Father, for those who, who may not have um, felt like they were ready to stand yet, but they sent some sort of tug in their hearts. And we just look to you, Father, and ask for your help, that you would confirm. Lord, you can open doors, you can shut doors. Lord, we just hear Will's testimony about how you just bit by bit opened doors for him. Just looking on the internet for various things, and you just planted things in front of them, and you're able to do that for the people who are standing now. Lord, you tell us in the book of James that if any man or any woman, any child lacks wisdom, we can ask of God who gives all generously and without reproach. And so we just ask for wisdom now, Father. If this is your call, that you're calling us to another country, another ethnicity, Lord, you're sending us out, you're sending these people out. If that is your will, if you're flipping the script in their lives, Lord, that you would make it clear. You're a good God. You're able to make things clear. You're able to open doors and shut doors, Lord. You're able to stir their hearts in a way where they could not do anything else but go. So, Father, if, that, if you're calling these to go, if you're calling more here in this room to go, they don't even know it yet, but if you're doing that, we would ask you, Father, to stir hearts now. And you would open doors, Father. And those who have said no their entire life would all of a sudden say, maybe. Maybe. Maybe that's me. And Father, you would make people willing to even consider it. Lord, you would put it in hearts then, if it is your desire for them to go, that you would stir their hearts up to go. We thank you for it, Father. We trust that you will do this for your glory and for your joy. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. I'm going to ask Will and Sarah Myron to stand. We love you. And Christ Redeemer Church, this is your family. Two of our members who now believe they've received a call to go. And that's a big deal. That is a really, really big deal. And the Myrons need our help. Like anyone we would send out, they need our help. They need our love. They need our encouragement. They need our support. I know, I know from my conversations with them, it is a daunting task to consider to uproot your family and go. Ireland is not a cheap place to do missions. It's a very uh, needy place. It's not cheap. And I know the amounts that they're looking out are, are, are daunting to them. And please listen to me. They, they don't have blood relatives out there who are willing to send them on this mission. Will has said to me multiple times, said to other people, this is my family. This is their family. And I would simply ask you to consider Supporting them financially. Third John says that when people like Will and Sarah go out for the sake of the name of Jesus, we should send them out in a manner worthy of God. Man, we have an opportunity to send some of our own family members in a way that would be worthy of God. So I would simply ask you 
to consider uh, supporting Will and Sarah. And will you do something for me? Don't wait for them to come to you. That's so hard to go and ask people, will you support us financially? If you feel a tug from the Lord to support them, whether that's $10 a month or $1,000 a month, will you do something? Will you please go up to them? And will you tap them on the shoulder and say, we would love to support you? Will you please do that and consider doing that for Will and Sarah Meyer? And we trust the Lord will help us to send them lavishly. Thank you for doing that. You may be seated. They have information out in the lobby on the welcome table. You can stop there. I hope you'll tap them on the shoulder this morning. Gary and Ellie Sigma, will you raise your hands quickly? Gary and Ellie have been with us for quite a while now. We love Gary and Ellie. And, and they are family as well. We will hear from them shortly. Gary and Ellie have been here in the States for a long time, have family here, and they are now sensing a call to work with Wycliffe in overseas missions. They don't know exactly where they're going yet, uh, but they're praying and they've sensed that call. We want to send them well also. So there's another couple, part of us who are going out. You can stop and tap them on the shoulder and say, tell, tell me more. And if you would like to support them, will you tell them that? And don't wait for them to come and tell you. Man, praise God that we have opportunities to send. That is a fantastic thing. And I pray the Lord would just raise up hundreds and thousands of people over the years from Christ Redeemer Church to go to the nations. His heart is for the nations. Amen? His heart is for the nation. So we celebrate your story, sickness. We celebrate your story. Uh, We celebrate every story where God is sending. And if you're not called to go, then let's send. And let's send lavishly. Amen? We thank God. Thank God for this Global Missions Week. Please stand and receive the benediction. May God give you faith to trust in the missionary above all missionaries, the Lord Jesus Christ, who went out from His beautiful home in heaven to serve us. And if God is flipping the script in your life for mission, may God give you the faith to hear it and the courage to follow it. And may God give us as a body the heart to sin lavishly in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.